Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pick Aside Podcast. My name is Joel Moran and I'm here with Jack Bartek. This is now episode 45. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about everything that happened in week 12 pretty much. We're going to talk about Matt Patricia's firing, head coaching vacancies, which 5-6 and six team has the best shot to make the playoffs, and if Jared Goff is holding back the Rams, and if Aaron Rodgers has become underappreciated, then we're going to finish off the show with NFL Pick'em Week 13 and our power rankings for Week 13 of the NFL as well. So yeah, how you doing today, Jack? Uh, I'm all right. It's gross out. It's pouring rain. Yeah, so. it's bad. I know uh, Riv is in here because of school. So just you and I on the podcast today. And before we start, I have to press the record button on <laughs> on the camera. And you said Riv not here because of school. And it's tough. End of the semester. I know that me and you are both dealing with it as well. Like that end of the semester work is always tough. So... Riv, we wish you were here, but you got to do what you got to do. Yes, sir. So I finally pressed the record <laughs> button on the uh, on the camera. So I guess we could get right into it, right into our topics. So Matt Patricia got fired by the Detroit Lions. Him and Bob Quinn got fired. And I want to know your thoughts on it. Uh, what do you think is next for Detroit now? This was the best news that the Lions fans could have possibly heard. And it's a multitude of reasons. And I know that you're going to get into some of it further than I can. But he, he just showed up and he had way too much bravado without performance to back it up. There are only so many guys in the league that can act the way that he acted when he came into the head coaching role. You look at it back when Rex Ryan came to the Jets. He acted like a jerk. There's no way around it. You saw it every week uh, on Hard Knocks. But the fact of the matter is he came out and went to two straight back-to-back AFC championship games. Bill Belichick acts like a jerk in the media. But the fact of the matter is he's the greatest coach in NFL history, at least up there. So if you're going to act the way that Matt Patricia acted, coming in after Jim Caldwell, who had three out of the last four of his seasons were winning seasons, and you're going to talk about how the team was soft under him and he was holding them back, and you're calling out players. You need to back that up as a coach, and it has to show in your performance. But the fact of the matter is he came in, never had a winning season, never made the playoffs, and forced out multiple players. Some of them not as good as others, but Glover Quinn, Golden Tate, Quandre Diggs, especially Darius Slay on top of all of them, were all forced out mainly because of him. And there were other players as well. And you saw the reaction on Twitter yesterday. It ignited the Detroit Lions Twitter world because all of these players that had played for him in the past and knew what kind of guy he was, they were happy for Lions fans. Because when when players like Darius Slay leave the Lions, under those circumstances, it's not because he wanted out of Detroit. He just couldn't play under Matt Patricia anymore. And it goes back to that training camp. They, they had the combined training camp practice with them and the Giants. And him and Darius Slay got into a fight. Darius Slay leaves the field and then posts a picture of him and Odell training. And then Matt Patricia comes back the next day and shows the picture on, on the whiteboard and embarrasses him in front of the entire team. It's just not the way that you run a team. I mean, part of Matt Patricia's problem is that, and part of the Lions' problem is that they try to do what the Patriots did. They got Bob Quinn... They got Matt Patricia in there, but they're not as good as Belichick and ever will be. The problem with Matt Patricia is that he wanted to be a hard-nosed coach, but he doesn't have that credibility to do that. There are certain guys that can do that. 
you can go in and you can kind of bully players and stand your ground as a coach if you've played in the NFL before. Like a guy like Robert Sala can get away with it. But a short guy that's chubby like Matt Patricia, he's not, he doesn't look like he's a very tough guy. Like you can't get away with trying to punk these athletes because they know what's up, you know? So Matt Patricia tried to do too much of that. I mean, his record shows for itself. 13-29-1 as the coach. Before he got there, they were 9-7 and seven both years. That's a bad move by Bob Quinn to fire Jim Caldwell. And he was know? a well-liked and respected guy, Jim Caldwell. Yeah, exactly. So that was a bad move by Bob Quinn. But then you look at Detroit Lions. Like, you look at Matt Patricia. He got hired in Detroit for being a defensive coach, defensive mastermind. It's easy to do it when you're with Bill Belichick and you have all the players to do it. But then in Detroit... In 2018, they finished 10th in yards. They finished 16th in points. 2019, 31st in yards, 26th in points. And this year, they're 29th in yards and 31st in points. And I don't know if anybody has ever looked at Detroit's defensive roster, but it's not bad. It's not this bad. They should be a top 15 defense in the NFL. And if they get a coach that's better, they, they would have been. They would have been. But Patricia's just not that guy. And you talked about former players calling him out. I mean, a former Detroit Lions tight end Garrett Hudson said that Patricia was the worst person that he's ever met, that he's ever met. <laughs> oh and I can't, I can't name my sources, but I have sources that used to play for Patricia, and they do not like him. The practices are rough. He's a, he, he's a mean guy. He's mean-spirited. I mean, there were, there were guys that when, you, when they practiced – they wouldn't even be ready for the games. Their legs would be done up for the games because Patricia's practices were so brutal. I mean, in the NFL, you just can't do that. You have to prioritize rest. These are professional athletes. They're not high schoolers. And when you when you come in as a grown man and you try to punk other grown men, you see what happens. It's not going to work, and nobody's going to respect that. Yeah, and you said it as a defensive head coach to come in and be as bad defensively as the Lions were under him. It's inexcusable, and I know – the one game that we watched single-handedly be a microcosm of what the Lions have been under him, the Jets in Sam Darnold's opener. It was against a rookie quarterback, his first ever NFL start, and you know Matt Patricia was coming in these big expectations. They get the pick six, and then everything went downhill from there. It was arguably the best performance of Sam Darnold's career on that Monday, I believe it was Monday Night Football. And yeah. since then, it's been no better. And you said it. They have talent in the building. You look at them this year, they're sitting at 4-7. and seven. They could easily be in the playoff conversation they've with the blown, right coach. They've blown about four games that they've had double-digit leads in. I mean, you look at their defense, I don't think they're a bad squad. You know, you have Desmond Trufant, who was a, four, a really good cornerback in his day, and I think he still has – he shows flashes of it. Justin Coleman, he's a good nickelback. Um, who's the guy? Jeff Okuda, the third overall pick. Yeah. Trey Flowers, he's a good edge rusher. Danny Shelton, he's not bad. Jamie Collins coming off the edge. Like, these guys aren't horrible. Deron Harmon they have, too. Like, the guys that they have aren't horrible. To be the 31st-ranked defense in the NFL, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, and that's another thing. You brought up a guy in Jeff Okuda who, coming out of school, was supposed to be one of the best cornerback prospects in recent memory. He was by far the best cornerback in college football last season and probably the season before, and he's coming to the NFL, and I get it. It's a tough position to adjust to at the NFL level, but he has been one of the worst cornerbacks in the league this season. And under a defensive head coach, that should not happen. 
Talent should develop under him. And not only has not only has Okuda been bad, he hasn't developed at all. He hasn't gotten better over the course of the season. So something is wrong there. Well, we've talked about Matt Patricia, but the guy that can't go unnoticed is, is Bob Quinn. I mean, one, you fire Jim Caldwell after he gives you two 9-7 seasons. You choose to pull the trigger and fire him. And Jim Caldwell actually talked to a reporter and said that he was trying to fire him, I believe, in, in 2016. Like, the year that he was, he first came in, he was trying to fire Jim Caldwell. But you look at Bob Quinn. Stephen Tulloch went on Twitter and even said that he loves that Bob Quinn and Patricia got fired, that Detroit deserves better. Eric Ebron tweeted about it, and he's like, I might give uh, Bob Quinn a call and wish him well. <laughs> and then just his draft has been abysmal. Not too bad, but there was this one draft where he drafted Gerard Davis, a middle linebacker, with the, with the first-round pick. Then his second-round pick was Tease Tabor out of Florida. Both of them were, were not were bust. And now, just recent memory, he drafted Jelani Tavai, who has not, like, I thought he showed some flashes of rookie season, but he has not panned out so far. I think it's mostly coaching because I think he has some potential and talent. But even at the time, people said that he drafted Tavai way too high in the draft. Yeah. And the problem is, uh, Quinn had catered to Matt Patricia for the past three years. It, it had always been Patricia first, especially when it comes to a guy like Darius Slay, who is one of the best corners in football. And you side with Matt Patricia, who hasn't shown you anything over Darius Slay. It just goes to show you what side he's on. And at that point, if Matt Patricia's going, you might as well clean house and start over. Yeah, I just feel like what's next for Detroit is they got to bring in a good head coach, first things yeah. first. Yeah, I, I really don't think they're – I think the talent is there. Like, this team is a playoff team. I, I really believe that. Matthew Stafford, I think, is, a still, is still a great quarterback, and they pretty much just wasted about four years of his prime. Yeah. Because he he's a hell of a quarterback, and he's never been put in a situation to succeed and to have sustainable success. So I hope that the Lions bring in a good coach, a good manager – and they finally get this thing right for Detroit. They just need somebody that can uplift the team and get their defense better because if that defense is average, Detroit is a playoff team, and there's no doubt about it. Yeah, and if you got to feel bad for Matthew Stafford, who has been painfully underrated for pretty much his entire career because what has he been really surrounded by in Detroit? Other than Calvin Johnson, you know, they've had some nice pieces, but they've never given him that full coaching defense, offensive weapons. The offensive line has never been that great. So, like, I feel like we've never gotten to see what Matthew Stafford really is. And now the question is, did they wait too long? Have they wasted too much of him? And with a new head coach coming in, are they going to want to move on for Matthew Stafford? It's a lot of question marks, and they've put themselves in a not great position. Just because where Matthew Stafford is at right now, I feel like he's on the tail end of his, at least the tail end of his prime, if not the tail end of his career. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see who comes in and what decisions they make. Do they think they can still win with Stafford immediately? And if so, then you got to step on it and make moves to make it a quick turnaround. Yeah, I agree. Uh, can you just do me a favor and can you lower the the headphones? The the number one, no, 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 the 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 knob right there, the knob. Yeah, can you lower it to the left? Yeah, I think that's good. Is that good? Yeah, because my headphones are way too loud. <laughs> All right, so now we're gonna go into our second topic. Which team do you believe is the most attractive head coaching destination? What head coach? What team right now that has a head coaching vacancy? 
or that will have one soon, do you think head coaches or coaches should be looking to become the coach of that team? I mean, I'll just name you some off the bat. Falcons have an opening. The Texans probably are going to have an opening. The Jets are probably going to have an opening. The Chargers as well. And the Lions. I mean, which team do you think has the most attractive, is the most attractive destination? Well, we spoke about this a little bit the other day, and the the first team that I want to say is the Houston Texans, just because any time a quarterback like Deshaun Watson is available to coach, you have to be you have to be wanting to jump at that opportunity. But when you look further into it, the fact that they've given up so much draft capital in the past few years and given up great players for less than their worth, it, it's really hurt them. Their cap is not in a great situation. So as much as I want to say them because of Deshaun Watson. I just can't lean towards that. The team that I would say would be the Los Angeles Chargers. You have Justin Herbert, who's having one of, if not the greatest season of all time for a quarterback in the National Football League history, and he's only going to get better, you'd have to imagine. And then you have a lot of talent on this roster. It starts with the wide receiving core, who Keenan Allen and Mike Williams are both painfully underrated. Then you have Hunter Henry. He's going to be due for a contract this offseason, but I'm sure they'll pay him. He's done a very nice job since he got drafted there. Austin Eckler is another guy in that offense. And the offensive line hasn't been terrible. It's not the best group, but they can work with it. And then on the defensive side of the ball, where they have been really miserable this year, they actually have a lot of talent. It's just, one, the coaching has been really bad, and two, they've dealt with a lot of injuries, starting with Derwin James, who is you know, up for debate, the best safety in the league. He's been injured pretty much the last two seasons. They have Melvin Ingram, who is another guy up for a contract. He's been out this season. Then they have Joey Bosa, of course. You know what he's done since being drafted. Uh, Kenneth Murray is another guy they drafted in the first round last year, has a lot of potential, not having the best season. Denzel Perryman is a big piece of that defense. So they have the guys on defense to have a good unit. They're just not coached well, and it shows. It's very obvious. Then going into this offseason, they have the eighth most cap room, and they also have the sixth best, best draft capital. So they got the whole package. They got the quarterback figured out. They have the talent to work with. They have the money this offseason and the draft capital. So I don't see how you could pass up on that destination. My pick is the Chargers as well, but before I go into them, I'm going to go into why the other teams are not the most attractive destination. First, you have the Jets. Yes, they might get Trevor Lawrence, but Trevor Lawrence, as good as people project him to be, is still an unknown. You know, if you're, I'd rather go with a quarterback that is known. Justin Herbert, you know he's probably going to be good. Deshaun Watson, you know he's good. So that's why the Jets aren't an attractive situation to me because they've been dysfunctional for a long time. And it's still a question mark at the quarterback position. The Lions and the Falcons, they have old quarterbacks that aren't mobile. The league is moving away from that. So if I'm a coach, I don't want to go there. And then you have the Texans. They don't have cap space. It's, they only don't have draft capital this upcoming year. Next year, they have all their picks back, so they're going to be fine. It's just this offseason, they're not going to have draft capital. So I'm not worried about that. But it's the cap space situation. The Chargers are my pick because, like you said, they have the quarterback position figured out. And while I do disagree with you with your point about the offensive line, because the offensive line has been abysmal, I was watching the game yesterday versus the Bills. I don't know the exact number, but I'm pretty sure Justin Herbert got pressure on 80% of the snaps. Like he, they, they don't have an offensive line at all. Their offensive line is abysmal. The good news is that right now Mike Pouncey is injured 
it's not good that he's injured, but, but he'll when he come comes back. back, they'll be good. Brian Bulaga has been out. Yeah. So when you have the trio of Bulaga, Tri-Turner, and Mike Pouncey, that offensive line is going to be better. They need to draft a left tackle. If they get a high enough pick, maybe they can get uh, Penny Sewell from <laughs> Oregon, Justin Herbert's former teammate. But yeah, their offensive line has been abysmal. They have to fix that. But everything you said is on point. Like, their defense is good. Derwin James, hopefully he's healthy. Casey Hayward, Melvin Ingram, Joey Bosa. They have a defensive line. They have a secondary. Their linebackers are iffy. And then they have receivers. They have a tight end. They have a running back. So they have the full package. Yeah. And, like, right now, I remember I was watching the Chargers game yesterday, and you talked about the horrible coaching. I don't know why the Chargers love to run on first downs so much and, like, inside zones – the, the play calling is so predictable. But what really worried me was a play I saw late in the game where Justin Herbert completed a Hail Mary, and instead of passing it on first and goal with about a minute, less than a minute left, they run the ball. And yeah. then later on in that, in that basically play sequence, or like in the next two plays, they go for a QB sneak, and the, pass, and the protection is going in a pass pro. So... The coaching play calling has been horrible. I think they are the most attractive head coaching destination, but this is going to be a hot take. I don't think the coach should be Eric Bieniemy. Really? No, I don't think they should go with an offensive coach. I think they should that's, go with that's the, fair. They should go with the defensive coach because that's been their problem. And also, I think offensive co- offensive head coaches are kind of overrated. Everybody loves to talk about Andy Reid's coaching tree, but it's kind of an overrated coaching tree. If I'm if I'm being honest, like outside of Doug Peterson, nobody has really succeeded who's been an OC for Andy Reid. You look at you look at Matt Nagy is one of them, right? <laughs> Matt Nagy is one of them. Um, Pat Shermer, Brad Childress, the Andy Reid successful coaches, the coaching the coaches that have been successful from Andy Reid's coaching tree have been John Harbaugh, special teams coordinator, Ron Rivera, defensive coordinator, and Sean McDermott, defensive coordinator. The only one who's been successful has been Doug Peterson, and right now he's having problems in Philadelphia. So do I trust Eric Bieniemy, who so far all we know is that he can coach extraordinary talent really well to go to the Chargers? My guy is Robert Sala. I like his energy. I like his passion. I think he should be the next head coach for the Chargers, Robert Sala. And as much as I do think Bienemy can be a great head coach, I agree with your point that a defensive head coach would make more sense for the Chargers just because I think that defensive unit needs more work and care and consideration than the offensive unit. You know, I think that working with Pep Hamilton, uh, Herbert has grown so much, and I think that that offensive unit is more ready. And I think it's easier to bring in an offensive coordinator then bring in a head coach to run the offense and then figure out the defensive coordinator. But I'm pretty sure that the Chargers will probably bring in an OC as their head coach because that's kind of like the trend right now when you have a, a rookie quarterback going into their second year. Oh, get an offensive coordinator and they'll take an MVP leap. If they do bring one, I don't know if he's free on the market, but I would bring in Joe Brady. Joe Brady would be my guy. Too. I'd pick him over Eric Bieniemy. That's just me. I'd pick Joe Brady. But like I said, I'm going with Robert Sala first. I, and before we come to the end of the segment, I did want to say about the Jets, I feel like, and maybe this is a biased take because, again, I'm obviously a Jet fan, but 
I think that out of all of those destinations, the Jets would be the second most attractive out of any of them because you look at them, Trevor Lawrence, as much as he's an unknown, he's the first quarterback since PFF started collecting data to have a 90-plus grade in three college seasons. He's the most highly touted quarterback coming out of college since Peyton Manning, maybe Andrew Luck. But the fact of the matter is anybody would salivate over having that talented quarterback. And then on top of that, they have $80 million in cap space this offseason. They have the number one draft capital this year. And I'm not sure about next year, but I'm sure they'll be at least up there on that list next year with a couple of the moves they've made to pick up some picks. And they have some talent on the roster too. I know it hasn't shown this year. They've been miserable but I think a lot of that has to do with the coaching. And I think there are some gems on that roster that may not be playing up to their potential, but I don't think that this is an unsalvageable roster. I think there are pieces to build around in there, but obviously behind the chargers, I think that the jets would be the second most attractive destination. Mm-hmm. Now off the subject of head coaching destinations, we're going to go into games that happen in week 12. The first game we're going to go into is the Titans Colts. It was the 1 PM game. So that's what we're going to do first. So what went wrong for the Colts and what went right for the Titans? Well, I'll tell you one thing for the Colts. Missing DeForest Buckner was a huge loss because they just got destroyed in the run game. And at the end of the day, when you can't stop Derrick Henry, it's going to be very tough to stop the Titans. And I think that we've seen over the past year or so, if you force the Titans to beat you with Ryan Tannehill, you're much more likely to beat them than if you force them to be, or you don't force them to beat you without Derrick Henry. Like if you can cut off the head of the snake, you have a better chance of killing the snake. And the Colts did not do that. And we've said it time and time again on this podcast, and we talked about it last week. I just don't trust that Colts offense in a shootout. I don't trust Phillip Rivers. I don't think that he has that firepower anymore. It's the reason that I can't put them up there with the Chiefs. And that's what happened. They, they ended up not being able to score with the Titans, and it really hurt them that they did not have DeForest Buckner because that line was weakened. What happened, what went right for the Titans is that Derrick Henry came up big, and I think playoff Derrick Henry is a thing. In the playoffs, he was completely unstoppable, and whenever I see a performance like this from Derrick Henry, I call him playoff Derrick Henry because I think that's a thing. It, in the second half of the season, for some reason, he just goes beast mode. You know, shout out to Marshawn Lynch. But what went wrong for the Colts is that DeForest Buckner was out and Danico Autry were out, their best two run stoppers. You know, without them, their defense is completely different. Even though Matt Eberflus has done a a great job, there's a reason they traded a first-round pick for DeForest Buckner. And he's been worth it. They needed an interior lineman, and they got it in him. So that's what went wrong. I knew the Titans were going to win this game because usually division games split. The Colts won the first one, but I think what also went right for the Titans is that they used Derrick Henry to their advantage, and I'm actually glad they did this this time around because usually the Titans become predictable. They run the ball. They keep running it. They run it a lot on first down, but in this game, they were doing a lot of play-action passing, like a lot throughout the game, a lot. Derrick Henry got a touchdown counted for his rushing total, rushing stats, but if you watch the game, it wasn't like that. Ryan Tannehill threw up a screen pass to him, basically like a like a swing pass, yeah. and they called it a lateral. But it was basically a pass, and Derrick Henry took it in. But the play action was setting up the run the entire game and vice versa. The Colts could not stop it. They couldn't adjust. When they tried to adjust to the play action passing, the Titans started running it, and Derrick Henry was just gushing them for 10 
to eight to ten yards, and you couldn't stop it. I mean, Derrick Henry had 140 yards and three touchdowns in the first half. Like those those stats are are crazy just to to even think about. Yeah, and we've seen it since the last postseason. If you can't stop Derrick Henry, you can't stop the Titans. You know, there there has not been games where he's had a huge game if they and they've lost. It just doesn't happen. And the question is, can you stop him? Can you not stop him? And the Colts did not do that. I wouldn't put too much stock into it because, again, they were missing their two best run stoppers, and they will get them back. So it, it's not something where I'm looking at it and I'm saying, you know, this is the Colts' true colors. They're done. But they need to get into Forrest Buckner back quickly, figure out that defensive line again, and they'll be fine. I also don't think that Phillip Rivers necessarily doesn't have enough firepower I think this offense doesn't have enough firepower. Yeah, their receivers. I mean, their not... running backs aren't like Marlon Mack. Even though he has some moments where he flashes that he can be a three-down back, he's more of a third-down receiving back, and he's very explosive in that role. Then your their receivers aren't very good. You know, people still like to view T.Y. Hilton as a number one. T.Y. Hilton is not is not that guy anymore. He's he's five ten. He's small. He doesn't have much like body mass to him. And he came into elite into the league as a burner. He ran a four three four at the combine. He's had a lot of injuries, so he doesn't have that speed anymore to get by people. You know, when you're younger, you can use that to your advantage. It can, you know, it works in your favor. When you get older, you have to be more technically skilled. And it's just it just hasn't been the case. Last year, he had five hundred yards receiving in ten games. This year, he has four hundred in ten games. He hasn't been the number one. So you're counting on basically Zach Pascal. And Michael, Michael Pittman, Pittman Jr., who's a rookie. He's they, been dealing with injuries, too. And their their other speedster wide receiver, Paris Campbell, is out for the year. In the beginning of the year, he he was out. So, you know, they don't have a fully healthy receiving core. So there isn't enough firepower to, to even score a lot of points, yeah. which is why the formula for the Colts' success is to, to keep the game at a low score and hopefully they can score enough points to win. You know, not at they're not as bad, but they're similar. They're like the Chicago Bears of the AFC. They have a great defense, but their offense, there's a lot of question marks about it. Even though the Chicago Bears offense is yeah. way worse. And, and, they, and the play calling is way I worse. I was just going to say, it's like the Bears with much better coaching. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But the point holds true. They can't score enough points. They have to have their defense bail them out. And that's why, you know, when... Philip Rivers first went to the Colts. I said this. I said that he's kind of going into like a yin-yang situation. And the Colts, great receivers, no O-line. And the Colts, I mean, in the in the Chargers, yeah. great receivers, no O-line. With the Colts, a great O-line, no receivers. So he's basically kind of working with the same thing. He's just not getting hit. Yeah, and one way or another, you know, I feel like a lot of people don't consider how much great receivers do for a quarterback. Like getting separation can be the difference between a quarterback looking great and looking horrible. And you saw, I feel like the chargers were able to develop much more explosive plays last year with Phillip rivers. And obviously now with Justin Herbert and the Colts have not been able to do that this season because they just don't have the personnel for that. Their best plays have really come out of the backfield, even though their running backs aren't great on you know, short passes and stuff like that. That's been their best offense. And at the end of the day, that's not going to cut it against these, you know, higher power offenses in the AFC. Yeah, a game that happened is Miami versus the Jets. The Dolphins <laughs> beat them 20-3, to but we're not going to talk about the game itself. 
We're just going to talk about a storyline within a game. Fitzpatrick got the start. He won. So the question is, who do you think gives the Dolphins a better chance to make the playoffs? Ryan Fitzpatrick or Tua? And also another question, just like kind of the same question, who do you think they can go farther with as well if they do make it to the playoffs, Fitz or Tua? Well, one of my biggest issues is when we were talking about Tua, I think it was last episode. It might have been two episodes ago. Um, and we were talking about how he could – it was actually the Cardinals game, I think, and I said he was have a little springboard here with the Chargers and then the Broncos and then the Jets. But what really happens is he gets pulled against the Broncos. He's hurt in the Jets game. Is he going to be back for the Bengals game next week? He's more than likely going to be, but are they going to start him? Now the question marks are swirling, and this game that was supposed to be the third of a three-game stretch of a trampoline for him going into – four tough matchups down the stretch. Now he doesn't have that anymore. Now he has to go out against Cincinnati, maybe pressing, trying to prove himself, and then he gets greeted with the Chiefs, the Patriots, the Raiders, the Bills to close the season. So that's a concern for me with Tua right now. And as much as I said that I've been okay with him so far, we both agreed he has not been anything special. He's been a game manager in the games he's played so far. And I think that that's okay based on his circumstances, not having played a football, we disagree on this, not having played a football game in almost a year, you know, not having OTAs, training camp, whatever, to adjust to that offense. I understood it, but when it comes down to a playoff hunt, especially as tight as it is in the AFC, I don't know that you can afford to have that. Even as great as their defense has been, you can't be conservative with your play calling because you don't trust your quarterback or whatever it may be to, to call the plays that you would with Ryan Fitzpatrick, a quarterback. And that's why as much as I like Tua and I feel like he's been okay, that game that he got pulled and missed game against the Jets is a huge setback for them wanting to play Tua the rest of the season. I think they're going to go with Tua against the Bengals, but I think that when you discuss who would be best for them down the stretch, it might be Ryan Fitzpatrick. We know we saw him with the Jets. He's as wild card as they come. And he will win you football games or lose you football games. But I think they need to bet on that rather than the conservative play calling and, and conservative offense that they've been using with Tua. I think what I'm, what I'm, gonna, about, I'm about to say is going to make people think that I'm kind of backtracking on my statement. But I'm going to make it clear. Tua was nothing special. And I don't think he will be anything special. I, in fact, don't even think he'll be the Dolphins franchise quarterback. That's going to be the position they're going to need the most, and he's not going to deliver on that. With that being said, the reason they need to stay with Tua is because I disagree with all your points. I don't think the Dolphins need a playmaker. I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is a better playmaker. I mean, he averages over 100 yards per game passing, right? I think he's a better playmaker. He's a better leader. He brings more passion to the team. But with that being said, I think the Dolphins are in a position where they can't afford a Ryan Fitzpatrick. Because throughout his career, he's either been a great performer or he'll lose you a game. I mean, he wasn't great against the Jets. The, the Jets just can't score. Yeah. But they had turnovers that we could have capitalized on. We just couldn't score. Yeah, and you my know? answer was no basis on the Jets game. And, and the thing about it is that the Dolphins have a great defense. They have great coaching. They have a great special teams unit. They don't need a quarterback who's going to be a gunslinger and cost the team some drives. They don't need a quarterback who's going to take risks. They need a quarterback like Tua 
who's going to hold on to the ball. He'll take care of it. He's thrown for six touchdowns, zero picks. Ryan Fitzpatrick is thrown for 12 touchdowns, eight picks. So there's a big disparity there. They don't need a playmaker like Fitzpatrick. They don't need a quarterback that's going to want to put the team on his back and play hero ball. They just need a guy like Tua. You know, throw these little screens, throw these little slants. They don't need nothing special. And that's why I think Tua's the guy moving forward for them if they want to have a better shot at not only securing a playoff spot, but maybe, you know, going above the Bills and winning the AFC East. They need Tua to be there because he's going to protect the ball. The reason I disagree with you there is because the teams that they're going to have to be facing, and I I agree their defense is a top-five unit in football. I think that's fair to say. But the teams that they're going to be facing, obviously the Bengals are a wash. At least I would hope so. Then you have the Chiefs. That's a high-powered offense. The Patriots, not as much, but you never know with Cam Newton. But then the Raiders can score the football with the best of them, and so can the Bills. And they need pretty much at least four out of the next five games that they really want a shot at the playoffs the way that this race is shaping out. If they had put themselves in a better position at the start of the season or if they had beaten the Broncos, I might feel differently. But I just I I don't think that you can sit on your hands and play conservative when you're not you don't really control your own destiny at this point. You need everything you can get you talk about you talk about those teams, the Raiders and Bills being teams that can score with the best of them. But no team has been able to score with the Dolphins. I mean, they're second in points allowed. So they're not letting any team come in and score a bunch of points on them, which is why I feel like you don't need Fitzpatrick to come in and, and you know, throw for three touchdowns. You, you, that's why Tua's been winning, not even throwing for 100 yards, because you don't need that. The Dolphins don't need that. And at the same time, I guess you can use a narrative that, you know, they're developing him as well. But I don't think they need a guy like Fitzpatrick because we've seen it firsthand with the Jets. He cost us a playoff spot. Oh, yeah. I'm the he first threw, to admit he's he, a wild he card. He threw three interceptions, I think, or four that game. It was three or four. But he had an abysmal game when we were supposed to make the playoffs that year, and he cost us that shot. That's what Fitzpatrick is. He can either win you games or he can lose you games. And for yeah. the Dolphins, they can't afford that right now. They need somebody who's going to take care of the ball, and they know what they're going to get out of him. I, I understand where you're coming from. Again, I just feel like the teams that they're playing, especially a team like the Chiefs and other teams that are at the top of that AFC race or the bottom of that AFC race, I should say, because that's where they're going to be battling. Either way, whoever they end up starting, the defense is going to be the key. And if the defense plays well, I, I agree with you. Tua is the guy. But do you trust the Miami defense to hold the Chiefs offense like that? The Chiefs? Like, so So if you're playing a team like the Chiefs, because they're going to face the Chiefs not this upcoming week, but the week after. Do you trust the Miami defense against the Chiefs and Tua at the helm against the Chiefs defense? I don't trust any team against the Chiefs, any defense. Fair. But what I'm going to say about that is that while that's a valid point, I think the Dolphins just need to win two games and they secure a playoff spot. I think really? they, they get to nine wins there in the playoffs. I don't think, you know, you have the Raiders there who are in the hunt still, right? And that's about it. The Raiders. Well, the Raiders, the Colts, the Ravens, but who's out the of Patriots, the, who, who's the Browns. Out, who's out of the playoffs right now? The Jets, the Jaguars, the Well, the Bengals. teams that matters. Um, I guess 
the Broncos and Texans would be the only one. I mean, they're the not pa- making it. The Patriots are at five wins. They're not going to make it either. And then beyond that, I think that the Raiders, the Ravens, the Colts, the Dolphins, the Browns. But who's out of the playoffs right now? Like, there's seven teams that are in right now. Oh, the seven teams that are in are obviously the Steelers, the Chiefs, the Titans, the Bills. Those are your division winners. Then you have the Browns, the Dolphins, the Colts. So and the Ravens out? and Raiders are the two teams that aren't. Okay, so I feel like the only threat is the Ravens. I don't think the Raiders are making it. The Ravens are the only threat, and they have a COVID situation. So who knows what's going to happen from that. But if, if the Ravens lose, that gives the Dolphins a front-row seat, basically, to the playoffs if they lose to the Steelers on Wednesday. Yeah, and you make a good point there. And a lot depends on circumstance. If things work out in their favor and the defense can be really good and other teams help them out with losses, yes, but... With with them not having their spots solidified, like them not controlling their own destiny, they can't afford a loss as much as I feel like they could when they had Tua starting in the middle of the season. As cliche as that might sound, going down the stretch, and, and I, it's tough to say Ryan Fitzpatrick just because we watched him with the Jets blow the playoffs for him, and you know he has that in him, but then he also has sparks of greatness. The defense is the key, no matter what. No matter who they have at quarterback, that defense will be what will even give them a chance to make the playoffs, let alone win playoff games. But I personally, I think that they should go with Tua. As much as I'm saying I think Ryan Fitzpatrick makes more sense, I think they should go with Tua because if you don't go with Tua after starting him for three games in the middle of the season, you're showing no confidence in him. And then how do you really expect him to bounce back from that next year showing that you don't believe in him in a playoff race. And at that point, you might as well just draft a new quarterback. So I think they should go Tua, but part of me feels like Ryan Fitzpatrick gives them a better chance in games where they're going to need a high-powered offense. And it comes down to the defense. Can the defense keep them in it enough that a conservative offense works? It's a, it's a risky bet. You talked about the Dolphins facing the Chiefs in a couple of weeks. The Chiefs played yesterday at 415 against the Bucks. And what do you think of the game? I mean, do you think the Bucks were just bad? Or are you not sold on them anymore? Or are the Chiefs just that dominant? What's your opinion on it? The Chiefs are too dominant. Me and Riv have been saying it for weeks. At, well, actually, Riv didn't say it last week, which amazed me. But I've had the Chiefs at the top of my power rankings for weeks now. Ever since last year, I think it's been clear they're the best team in the league. And one loss to the Raiders did not change my opinion on that. They are an unstoppable offensive unit, and until somebody proves otherwise to me, I can't pick against them. And you saw it again on Sunday. The Bucks are a good defensive team, although they came out in one of the most ridiculous defenses I've ever seen. I don't know what Todd Bowles is thinking, and we gave him a lot of credit this year, but to play single coverage with no safety help over the top on Tyree Kill is a death wish. And Patrick Mahomes said it. He said, it was single coverage with no one over the top, and we don't see that almost at all. So to be doing that, I did not understand that move at all. And then in the second half, when the Buccaneers switched to a different coverage, they slowed down the Chiefs' offense a little bit, but it goes back to the Raiders' game last week. When they got the ball with a minute and a half left down by a score, I felt nothing but confidence that they were going to win the game, and there's no other team in football that I would feel that way about. I just feel like they are that dominant that it would take a perfect performance to take them down. And do I think it can happen? 100%. Because football, 
it, it's any given Sunday. If you go out and have a great performance, it can, the Titans last year did not really belong where they ended up in the AFC Championship. They just strung together a couple of great performances. It can happen, 100%. But the Chiefs should win it all this year. The Chiefs are dominant, but this was more about the Bucks not being in sync yet. And everybody wants to, everybody's wondering what's wrong with the Bucks, what's wrong with Arians, what's wrong with Tom Brady. I'm going to tell you, everybody is watching right now, I'm going to tell you that what's wrong with them is that it's their first year in a brand new offense. Bruce Arians' offensive system is one of the most complicated in the NFL. Carson Palmer, you remember him, former yeah. Bengals quarterback. He went to the Cardinals late in his career after his stint with Oakland. So Carson Palmer's first year with Bruce Arians, he threw 24 touchdowns and 22 interceptions. The Cardinals luckily went 10-6 and six that year. Palmer the next year in 2014, which he only played six games, he went 6-0. and But I'm going to use 2014 and 2015 combined. He had a 19-3 and record, threw 46 touchdowns, and 14 picks. In two seasons, he threw less picks than his first season with Arians. Bruce Arians' system takes time. And for Tom Brady, who didn't have an offseason, didn't have OTAs, Mike Evans, they didn't have time to get in sync. They're not ready yet. They're not there yet. It's only week yeah. 12. People feel like it's been forever. Week 12, week 12 is three months, basically. With no training camps, no OTAs, And no COVID, pre-season. which makes it even harder to practice and stuff. Exactly. So... There's so much that's tying into this, and they went out and signed Antonio Brown. I personally feel like the Bucks, while their ceiling is better with is higher with Antonio Brown, they are better with Scotty Miller. It's just another puzzle piece. It, it's not even that. It's that Tom Brady is familiar with Scotty Miller. Yeah, exactly. They've been in the offense. He's familiar. He knows where he's going to be somewhat. When Evans and Godwin weren't in the lineup, Scotty Miller was there, and they were building chemistry. So they worked really, really well together. So when you bring in a guy like Antonio Brown who doesn't know the system, it's going to look funky to begin with. And like Tom Brady threw three interceptions in the, in the third quarter. One came after a huge completion to Godwin, and the second one was just like a tip that bounced up. After that play, Tony Romo basically made a comment about how it was Mike Evans' fault because he didn't read the blitzer. And everybody on Twitter went wild. They called Tony yeah. Romo, you know, he's not, he's just sucking up to Tom Brady. He's a homer, he's whatever. But in reality, Tony Romo said that because he understands the position. He understands what Tom Brady's seeing, what the normal fan isn't seeing. So people, many fans and even people in the mainstream media, which I have, a, I don't even watch any of the mainstream media shows because they don't offer anything that's, that's, they don't offer any knowledge about the game. They just talk. They're entertainers. They think it's just throw and catch. It's as simple as throw and catch. But there's so much scheme behind football. There's so much understanding that has to go into it that you can't just look at a play and blame it all on a guy. Part of this is just people not liking Tom Brady and wanting him to fail at all costs. Yeah. And you spoke about this a little bit on your Instagram story before. But the Buccaneers run one of the most... Uh, wide receiver read heavy offenses in football. If you don't know what that means, it means the wide receiver has multiple routes and they have to read the defense. So if it looks like on tape, there's been a lot of miscommunications between Tom Brady and his receivers this year. That's because that's what it is. And there are multiple occasions on the season where you can clearly pick out interceptions or missed throws, even from yesterday, where it just seems like Brady is throwing 
to a different route, that's because he is. That's what's happening because they don't have that chemistry. And that's what happens when you bring in a new quarterback and it's magnified, one, in a Bruce Arian system, and two, because it's Tom Brady and the Bucks, and everybody was talking about him coming into the season and that hype has followed them all year long. The one thing that I do want to say, and I understand it's Bruce Arian's system, and I read today, I know Riff sent it to us, that Tom Brady is actually calling the plays before the game in the huddle, yada, yada. He's not. He's picking what plays he wants to run during yeah. the game. Yeah. Which all that mean every single quarterback does that. Yeah. So really I, I, I wish that they would utilize the run game and the short routes more also differently because I don't like the way they utilize the run game. They run on first down way too much, in my opinion. You look at a team like the Chiefs, they rarely ever, I think out of their breakdown yesterday, 26 of their first down plays were passes and six of them were runs. And that's what makes them so successful. At the start of downs, they're letting Patrick Mahomes make plays. And I think that the Buccaneers should take a page from that. But in the same sense, I think that they should use their run game and shorter routes differently. I, I think that Ronald Jones looked great yesterday, which was a great sign because he had a terrible year last year and he has a little bit of a slow start this year. But he looked good yesterday, and I think that's something they could build on. And on top of that, the play-action game. I think they should utilize it more, and I think it would open things up deep because you look at yesterday in his example and multiple times throughout this season, it feels like the Buccaneers are forcing the ball down the field, which I understand is Bruce Arians' system. But the play-action fake is taking over football. It's one of the biggest phenomenons in the league. Uh, the league average for the play-action fake is 26% of plays. The Buccaneers run it only about 18% of their plays. Brady on no on non-play action passes has a 90 passer rating and averages six yards per attempt versus with the play action fake, 115 passer rating and nine yards per attempt. So I think that they should incorporate that into their offense a little bit more. And I think that they looked really good, especially early on. They were utilizing the short passing game more than just going deep and they put themselves in a hole where they had to take shots downfield. I just think that utilizing that earlier in the game would open things up downfield better later on and make it easier in a situation where they don't have that chemistry nailed down yet. I for sure. I think people are overreacting to the Bucks' slow start or how they play versus the better teams. I think people are overreacting to it. And everybody needs to give Tom Brady and the Bucks time to figure it out. Yeah, and if this is a slow start, go look at the numbers. Tom Brady is a top five, at least top ten quarterback in almost any measurable that you could pick out for a quarterback. So if this is a slow start, then it's pretty darn good. And I don't want to see him at his peak because if this offense starts hitting on all cylinders and they're going into a bye week this week and it's the best chance they're going to have to get on the same page, if they start hitting on all cylinders, they will be the only team in football that can keep up with the Chiefs. Before we move on to the next segment, uh, just lift your foot up because you're stepping on the wire. Okay, My bad. Good call. Okay, so this next segment is we're going to talk about the teams that are 5-6 and six currently, the Minnesota Vikings, the Chicago Bears, the 49ers, and the Patriots. Three of these teams won, which made them 5-6, and six, and one of them lost, the Bears, which made them 5-6 and six as well. So out of these four teams... Which team do you think has the best shot at making the playoffs? Well, immediately off the bat, I'm going to eliminate the Bears because we'll talk about Matt Nagy in a second. 
I think he is a very bad head coach, and I think that that's going to plague the Bears for the rest of the season. I don't think they have any chance. Then the Vikings, for me, they've been too inconsistent, and also I'll lump the 49ers in here. It's not as much as they've been inconsistent, but dealing with injuries, they've had a tough time finding their footing. And in the NFC, I think they're going to have a much harder time making the playoffs than an AFC team. Personally, I don't know that any of these teams have a chance at making it, but if I had to say one, I would say the New England Patriots, if for no other reason than they're an AFC team. And you look at it coming down the stretch, they don't have the toughest schedule in the world. They have the they have the Chargers coming up, um, and the Chargers don't have a great defense. And as much as the Chargers have a great offense, I think that Cam Newton's going to be able to move the ball against that Chargers defense. I think everybody has shown that. It's going to come down to an offensive duel, and we'll see if Bill Belichick can out-scheme uh, Anthony Lynn, and I will bet yes. Then you look at the Rams, another team that's been inconsistent, and we'll talk about them too, the Dolphins, the Bills, and the Jets. So it, it's it's not an easy schedule per se, but I think that with that schedule in the AFC, it gives them the best chance out of any of these four teams. The team that has the best chance is the Vikings, and I'm going to simplify it. The 49ers aren't healthy. The Bears have Matt Nagy, and they have a horrible QB situation, and the Patriots have no offense. The Vikings have the best quarterback among those four teams. And I also think, like, outside of the the Bears' schedule, they have the easiest schedule. I mean, you mentioned the Patriots. I'll just go into them first. I think they lose to the Rams. They lose to the Dolphins. They're five and six. If they if they lose two games, that's eight losses. The best they can finish is eight and eight. That won't make the playoffs in the AFC. You look at the 49ers. They have the Bills, Washington, Cowboys, Cardinals, Seahawks. I think they lose three of those games, nine losses. They won't make the playoffs in the NFC like that. The Bears, they can beat the Lions. They can beat the Texans. Will Fuller's not playing no more. He's suspended. They can beat the Vikings too. They can beat the Jaguars they'll lose to the Packers. So you win four games, you can finish nine and seven. And the NFC, is that going to make the playoffs? I don't know, maybe. But then you look at the Vikings. The Jaguars, they can beat them. The Bucs, which which Tampa Bay are we going to get? You know, which Tampa, that's a game that can go either way. Look at the Bears, they can beat the Bears just as equally as the Bears can beat the Vikings. The Saints, that's a loss. The Lions, they can beat them. So the Bears and the Vikings both can win four games in my opinion. They have four games that are winnable and at nine and seven or nine and seven you can win. You can make the playoffs in the NFC. So I don't want to pick the Bears over the Vikings because I think the Vikings have a better quarterback. They have a better offense. And I would rather put my faith in a team that can score points than a team that can't score any. I think it comes down to two games that will make the difference. I think the Patriots versus the Dolphins will be a huge game because if the Patriots can get a win against the Dolphins, obviously not only are they adding a win to their own resume, but they're taking a loss away or or they're adding a loss to the Dolphins, taking a win away from the Dolphins, which is huge when it comes down to records at the end of the season because that's going to be probably the team that they will be fighting with with for the seventh spot. And then you mentioned... Uh, that Vikings-Bears game. Whoever wins that game has a chance in the NFC. I would say the Vikings have a better chance than the Bears just because I don't trust Matt Nagy at all after what we've seen from him this season. 
So if I had to pick one of those NFC teams, I would say the Vikings, but they've been so inconsistent that I shy away from picking them. And again, I don't know. I don't think that any of these teams have a very good chance, but I would pick the Patriots if I had to pick one. You know, Bill Belichick, he's been there. He's a great head coach, and I, I trust him more getting this defense together, and I'll rely on that rather than betting on the Vikings. Truthfully, like, when you look at the games that the Vikings have played, I feel like they should have two win, two more wins than they have right now. You look at the Cowboys game, I think the Vikings should have won that game. 100%. Then you look at an earlier game, Seattle. If Dalvin Cook is playing and Alexander Madison is not on that final play, I think the Vikings win that game as well. And I, you could say the same for the Patriots. Yeah. You know, I think all of these teams, well, I'll talk about the Patriots mostly. They've gotten this rep as this horrible team. But in reality, they're just an average team. They're nothing special, but they're not a bad team. By no stretch of the imagination are they a bad team. They're they're an okay team. But with that being said, I still have the Vikings. But I also believe, to agree, to agree with your point, I don't think any of these teams at the end of the day will make the playoffs. They lost too many games that they should have won. The Vikings losing to Dallas, which should have been a gimme win. Losing to the Seahawks earlier in the year. Losing to the Falcons, too. Mm-hmm. And the Patriots losing to the Seahawks, too, when Cam Newton couldn't get the touchdown on that QB power. Yeah. So they were just, they didn't convert when they needed to, and those losses are coming to haunt them now as they're trying to make this playoff push. Yeah, and I think that that is a statement on how good the league has been this year because obviously you have teams like the Steelers, the Chiefs, the Saints at the top. I think that those three teams are in the be- the best-looking teams this season, and then you could go a step lower and have teams like the Packers, the Buccaneers. You could even make an argument the, tit- the Titans or Colts are in there. The league has been extremely competitive. Outside of then, you look on the other side, maybe the Jets and pay, uh, uh, Jets and Jaguars. Outside of those teams, the middle of the league has been essentially wide open, and, and I think it's been very good for football in general this year. I think it's been a great season to watch, especially despite all the conditions coming into the year. The football has been a great product on the field, top to bottom in the league. After the Sunday night football game, the Bears versus Packers, in Matt Nagy's post-game press conference, he said this, have some personal pride, have a freaking sense of urgency. He was talking to the defense in that press conference. He basically called them out after an embarrassing loss on Sunday night. And I think this can't look any more stupider than it looks. You're calling out a defense that has been Eighth in the in eighth in the NFL in points allowed, thirteenth in yards, and the problem with the def what well, the problem with the team is you. The problem is the offense. It's your play calling. It's your abysmal play calling, which has got the defense not playing that hard because they did look disinterested yesterday. But it's because of you. It's because nobody respects you. Nobody likes you as a coach, and everybody, the players and the fan base, want Matt Nagy to be fired. I mean, since 2018. When he got to the Bears, people like to use that 2018 season as a basis, but he was ninth in points. But just because he was ninth in points doesn't mean that he was their offense was good. They were 21st in yards, so they didn't move the ball that well. They just scored because their defense set them up in great field position, and they were in position to score those points. 2019, 29th in yards, 29th in points. 2020, 31st in yards, 29th in points. So... 
when we talked about Matt Patricia earlier on in the episode, Matt Nagy is the opposite of that. Matt Nagy was supposed to come in as a great offensive guru, guru, QB coach, and his offense has been bad, same as Patricia was supposed to go to the Lions as a great defensive coach, and their defense has been bad. And that goes back to the point that I was telling you about Matt, about Andy Reid's coaching tree being overrated. Matt Nagy only worked one year as an offensive coordinator for Andy Reid. In that one year, they were fifth in yards, six in points on a really good Kansas City yeah. Chiefs team. But you look at the offensive coordinators for Andy Reid's coaching tree, Pat Shermer didn't work out with the Giants. Doug Peterson, he did work out because they won a Super Bowl, but now in hindsight, we're looking more at Frank Reich than we're looking at Doug Peterson, and we see the problems that Peterson has had this year with the Eagles. Then you look at Matt Nagy, who's a disaster, and Brad Childress, who got fired from the Vikings in like the twenty in twenty ten. So Andy Reid's track record with offensive coordinators becoming good head coaches from his coaching tree is not impressive. The best coaches have been John Harbaugh, special teams coordinator, Ron Rivera, defensive coordinator, and Sean McDermott, defensive coordinator. And some honorable mentions are Leslie Frazier, Todd Bowles, who are both defensive coaches as well. Yeah, and you mentioned that 2018 season. It was lightning in a bottle. And obviously, you mentioned some of the numbers there. They looked better. They were 21st in yards still, but ninth in scoring. And I think that says a lot about the def- the situation the defense put them in. The defense that year was first in scoring, points, and rushing yards allowed. So, you know, the defense was setting them up very well that season. And I'll admit, I'll be the first person to admit, I fell for that 2018 Matt Nagy season. He looked like a genius, but it helped a lot that Mitchell Trubisky looked better that season than he has since then. The defense looked better that season than it than it has since then. And now you look at them last year, offensively, 29th in offensive yards and points, 27th and 28th in rushing yards and touchdowns, 25th in passing yards and touchdowns. Then, so far this year, 31st in offensive passing yards and points per game, 32nd in rushing yards and touchdowns, 25th and, 29, and 25th and 19th in passing yards and touchdowns. So clearly, he's not the guy. I think it's becoming more and more obvious every year, and we can't keep clinging on to one season and I mentioned Mitchell Trubisky has not played well since his rookie year. And second year. His second year. My apologies. But I think some of that has to be attributed to Matt Nagy. He has not progressed at all. Like, he has not developed whatsoever. He's regressed since then. And, and at worst, even if a quarterback doesn't have talent like that, if he showed that 2018 season, he looked pretty solid, I think it's fair to say. And then he came out the next season. Where was that? Well, even in 2018, Mitchell Trubisky couldn't see one side of the field. He he only really passed to one side of the field, and there were stats that proved it. I don't have them on me, but I saw him that year. He wasn't good then. I think everybody knew Mitchell Trubisky wasn't that guy. But I also believe that Matt Nagy ruined him as well. I mean, not only did you shatter the kid's confidence, and I call him kid and I'm younger than him, but like, <laughs> you know, in hindsight, when the NFL, there's so many older players, like you ruined Mitchell Trubisky's confidence by bringing in Nick Foles and then last year bringing in Chase Daniel to replace him for a couple games. Like, you really shattered Trubisky's confidence. And I think if you're a coach, you have to try to find the best way to get the most out of your players. You know, I believe if if this was Kyle Shanahan, Trubisky wouldn't look like this. If this was a a better head uh, offensive coach, 
Trubisky wouldn't look like this. I think Trubisky, he has talent and he's good. If they use utilized him more in the run game to run, I think he's okay. He's not as bad as what he's been made out to be. But then again, he's always going to be tied to Deshaun and Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. And the Bears traded up for him as well. I think it's safe to say that after this year, after the season's over, Matt Nagy will get fired and Ryan Pace will get fired. I was looking at Ryan Pace's track record in the draft. I didn't look at his free agent signings or his trades. I I looked at the draft. Ryan Pace is not bad at drafting. He's an okay drafter. But unfortunately, that Mitchell Trubisky and trading up for Trubisky pick is going to haunt him for the rest of his general managing career because you traded up for Trubisky and he didn't even have an interview with Deshaun Watson. <sighs> he didn't even sit him down for an interview. You picked the guy, you picked a guy who's probably going to go down as a bust over two, safe to say, like maybe future future Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Yeah, and, and even if you 1,000% believe that Mitchell Trubisky is your guy, to not even have an interview with Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson was no under-the-radar guy. He was the the best quarterback he in college the football the year before, won them the national championship. Like, that's inexcusable. And that's just not being prepared come draft time. Like, how do you how do you afford yourself the opportunity to properly scout a player and you don't even have a sit-down meeting with him? So I think that they need to take a page out of the Lions playbook, out of the Texans playbook, hit the reset button, and the tough thing for them now is they've been set back a couple of years by whatever's happened to this offense. Mitchell Trubisky is essentially worthless at this point in his career. So where do they go from here? Yeah, that's a good question. I think first things first, they got to fire Matt Nagy and bring yeah. in a new head coach. Who that's going to be, we don't know. Trubisky was a second pick in the draft. Now we're going to talk about the number one pick. I believe in the 2016 or 2017 draft, Jared Goff. I think it was 16. Jared Goff, former number one pick. The Rams lost to the 49ers, in which, which looked like they should have won that game, in all honesty. Do you believe that Jared Goff is holding back the Rams? I have been low on Jared Goff ever since he got drafted. And a lot of people got on me because of it, but I've never been high on Jared Goff. And this is not meant to be hate on Jared Goff. I think that he is a a perfectly average quarterback. I don't think he's anything more than that, though. And I think that that is holding back the Rams because the Rams should be championship contenders. They should have been championship contenders last year. And even though they were in the championship the year before, they should have won the championship. Because when you have Sean McVay, who is, you know, a lot of people say the best, brightest, youngest mind in football, you have the defense that they have, which is a top three unit in the league. There is no way that they should be as struggling as much as they are this year. You look at them, the first weeks, the first seven weeks of the season, they played Dallas, Philadelphia, Buffalo, which is a good game, the Giants, the Washington football team, the 49ers riddled with injuries, and the Bears, who we just talked about. In those games, Jared Goff threw 12 touchdowns, only four interceptions, and lost no fumbles. In the last four games against Miami, Seattle, Tampa Bay, San Francisco, four touchdowns, six interceptions, and four lost fumbles. And that's just a microcosm of his entire career. You know, he he shows moments of greatness. You look back at that, I believe it was a Monday night football or a Thursday night football against the Chiefs. Monday night. 
That, that might have been the greatest football game I've ever seen. And he looked incredible. He outdueled Patrick Mahomes, who's the greatest quarterback in football. But then there's times like yesterday where you watch him and on seven throws down the field, he only completed one of them. And it's like you're not even watching the same guy. It makes no sense to me. And on top of that, under pressure, he's a completely different quarterback. So far this season, he has a 38.1 completion rate under pressure. And that's a drop uh, of 29.3% from a clean pocket percentage. So clearly, he's not the same quarterback under pressure. And that's not just a one-year thing. Uh, he, he had a 42% completion rate under pressure in 2019 and 43% in 2020. Um, so he just he's a totally different quarterback under pressure. And while the line has been solid... You know, I talked about it when Andrew Whitworth went down. That was a big concern for me. As much as I love the Rams defense and I like Sean McVay, I just don't trust Jared Goff, and I do think he's holding back this Rams team. I think that they should be, at this point, running away with the division. And I, at the beginning of the season, I wouldn't have said that even if they had a different quarterback, but the Seahawks have underperformed and the Cardinals have underperformed. There's no reason they should not be running away with this division right now. I mean, I don't think the Cardinals have underperformed. I think the Cardinals are are still a team that, you know, they've yeah. gotten better from last year. I, I shouldn't say underperformed. Yeah, they've I mean, performed to, I think, where you and I expected I mean, they I saw, I saw nine and seven. So, the, is Jared Goff the problem with the Rams? The short answer is yes. I don't think it's because of Andrew Whitworth. I think it's just because Andrew Goff is, I mean, Jared Goff is really inconsistent. I mean, just, we're going to talk about the game yesterday. In the first quarter, he throws an interception to Richard Sherman. In the second quarter, he fumbles before the half. They're in field goal range. They could get some. They could get three points up on the board. Jared Goff fumbles. In the third quarter, in the first drive of the third quarter, Jared Goff gets intercepted by Javon Kinlaw, a rookie, and he takes it back for a touchdown. Granted, Jared Goff was hit on the play by Kevin Givens, but still, after that score, they're down seventeen to six. Because of Aaron Donald's heroicness, he forces a fumble. Troy Hill takes it back for a touchdown. It's now 17 to 13. Then Cam Anchor, Cam Akers basically brings a spark to the Rams, gets a huge run, then finishes it off with a score. Now the Rams are up 20 to 17. Then I'm just going to talk about the last drive in the fourth quarter. Jared Goff had Robert Woods on what was a out route or comeback route. He was super inaccurate on the pass. It would have been the first. It would have been a first down, and because of that, the Rams are forced to now punt to the 49ers. And when the 49ers get the ball back, Nick Bullins throws a slant to Debo. Debo takes it for about like 20 yards, and Debo came up huge in that final drive, puts them in field goal range, and now the 49ers hit a walk-off field goal to to win the game. I mean, Jared Goff was responsible for zero scores in that game. Aaron Donald scored. Cam Akers scored. I believe, uh, I forgot who scored. It might have been like Malcolm Brown or something. But the Rams had four turnovers. Three of those were by Goff. One of them was by Malcolm Brown. And even though the Rams turned it over, I mean, so did the 49ers. They had three turnovers. So for the 49ers to make that many mistakes, to be as injured as they were, and for Jared Goff to basically look worse than Nick Mullins, who was an undrafted quarterback, it just goes to show how inconsistent Jared Goff has been throughout his career. I mean, we don't talk about it enough, but he was the first overall pick. And we don't talk about how 
much he's kind of underachieved for a first overall pick because Carson Wentz was in that draft, and we see what he's been doing. He hasn't been impressive. And Dak Prescott, a guy that a lot of people label as overrated, who puts up garbage time stats. So that quarterback class there hasn't been an elite player come from that class outside of Carson Wentz's 2016 or 2017 season, I believe. twenty. I think it was 2017. Yeah. So that's the only thing. There's no elite quarterback in that class, which is why we don't talk about Goff. But Goff is in the same mode as the Baker Mayfields, the Jimmy Garoppolo's. He's probably like same with Kirk Cousins. They rely on play action passing. They rely on a better team around them. And that's basically what Jared Goff is. He's he's probably a little better than Baker Mayfield, but that's who he is. He has to rely on a great scheme, great players around him in order to be successful. And even then, he's very inconsistent. Yeah, and you mentioned he's the first overall pick. He's the sixth highest paid quarterback in all of football. And for that expectations, he just doesn't perform to that level. You mentioned three guys. I also had Kirk Cousins written down as the guy that I think he compares to. I would lean lean towards Kirk Cousins, especially this season. Kirk Cousins has looked above average this season. I think that Jared Goff is a middle-of-the-road quarterback. He won't win you games. You'll either win with him or you'll win in spite of him. I think he'll win you games. Like I said, he has those moments, but he's just inconsistent. I've seen Jared Goff win win games, so I'm not going to say he won't win you games, but he won't do it on a consistent basis. Uh, and another thing is their offensive scheme, and we haven't seen McVay without Jared Goff, so I can't say if this is true or not, but I wonder if Sean McVay is not limiting that offense to cater to Jared Goff because you see they run a lot through the running game, the play action, the, pre-motion, the, the pre-snap motions. Is that because he doesn't trust Jared Goff? Like a team like the Chiefs trust Patrick Mahomes, and obviously that's a tough example. But you know, a, a team like that, if they had a quarterback they could trust, I just feel like they would be better off. And I would love to see Sean McVay with a different quarterback to see if his play calling would change. I mean, his play calling would change just because it's a different player. But I don't think it's he's necessarily limiting the ceiling of that offense. I think that Sean McVay. I mean, after his first couple years in the league. Teams figured him out, and he had to go back to the drawing board. He stole a lot of things from Greg Roman's Ravens run-heavy offense, incorporated it this year. They looked awesome, but now we see that teams figured out the Ravens. So if they figured out the Ravens, oh, now they figured out the Rams too. And that's why you see the drop in their offensive performance. So I don't think it's just Jared Goff to blame for the Rams being inconsistent. I also think it's Sean McVay to an extent. You know, he he hasn't called the best plays at times. But I do think I would put more of the blame towards golf, but that doesn't mean I'm totally exonerating Sean McVay. I think that, you know, he he hasn't really adjusted completely so that offense can be consistent as much as he'd like to. Yeah, and he'd like it to be. I'll say it this way. If you told me I had to pick one between McVay and golf, I would pick McVay. Oh, yeah, no, without doubt. But I'm saying that I also don't think that Sean McVay is... That's fair. There's no blame to be had. I don't think that's the case either. So, so yesterday, Sunday Night Football, Aaron Rodgers, he passed 50,000 passing yards, another milestone to his amazing career. And 50,000 passing yards for him, he's now 11th all-time in most passing yards. Right now, like, he... 
He has a 117.6 QB rating, which is behind only his 14-1 season where he had a 122.5. He has the highest QBR of his career with an 85.2 ahead of his 14-1 season as well where it was 84.5. And currently he has the highest completion percentage of his entire career at 68.5. So, simple question. Do you think Aaron Rodgers has been underappreciated? I think that he's kind of been lost in translation because I personally believe he is still hanging with guys like Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes as much as you possibly can because I think that those two guys are the two best quarterbacks in the league. But I think that he belongs in that discussion more than he belongs in the Tom Brady, Drew Brees discussion, which is where I feel like he gets lumped away too often just because of age and the time they've been in the league and they overlapped when when Rodgers first came into the league. I think that Aaron Rodgers is still a top three quarterback in football, and I think he makes a strong MVP case this season. And without him, the Packers are not the team that they are this year. And I have them very high in my uh, power rankings this week, and they would not be that team without Aaron Rodgers. The defense has been super inconsistent this season, and him and Devontae Adams and to a lesser extent Aaron Jones have essentially willed them to being one of the best teams in the NFC. And so I think that it depends on who you ask, but I would say that Aaron Rodgers at this point in his career has become underappreciated, and we said it with a caller last week. Um, I think that Aaron Rodgers is a top-five quarterback ever. Well, I think he has been underappreciated, mostly because people don't understand what Aaron Rodgers has had to work with throughout his career. I I blame kind of the mainstream media because they always create these clickbaity titles and Aaron Rodgers has talked about it on the Pat McAfee show when he goes there on Tuesdays. I mean, he's talked about how he doesn't like the media because it's very clickbaity. I mean, I remember last year or two years ago when Mike McCarthy got fired, they were kind of blaming Aaron Rodgers for him getting fired. A bunch of drama about if Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers are going to work. If uh, Aaron Rodgers is stubborn, he's not going to listen to Matt LaFleur. Just a bunch of clickbaity stuff that now we know was yeah, not clear, true. Clearly, we see and, how that and they out. clicked. They clicked perfectly. So yeah, he's underappreciated, and people don't appreciate him enough because of what he's had to do throughout his career. I mean, this guy has only had a top five defense one time in his career. That one time, they won a Super Bowl against the Steelers. You look at the history of his of his career. Basically, he first started in two thousand eight, and that was basically at. He got drafted in 2005, I believe. So he started his first game, or he started yeah his first game three years into his career. He was a full-time starter three years into his career. Imagine that happening now. People wouldn't have the patience for that. But nonetheless, 2011, they had the 19th-ranked defense. They lost in the division, division game to the Giants. In 2012, they had the 11th-ranked defense. 2013, they had the 24th-ranked defense. With the 24th-ranked defense... They, well, they lost in a wild card. 2014, they had the 13th-ranked defense. They lost in the NFC championship, t- uh, championship game to the Legion of Boom. 2015, 12th-ranked defense. 2016, 21st-ranked defense. With the 21st-ranked defense, Aaron Rodgers took that team to the NFC championship. They lost to the Falcons. Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator for that team. 2017. 26th-ranked defense, missed the playoffs. 2018, I believe Rodgers was injured, 22nd-ranked defense. 2019, which was last year, they had the 9th-ranked defense. They made the NFC Championship game, and they lost, of course. And this year, they have the 19th-ranked defense. 
I mean, just to put that into context, context, Aaron Rodgers has only had a top five defense one time in his career. He won a Super Bowl. Tom Brady has had a top five defense eight times in his career. So Aaron Rodgers has never been surrounded with a consistently great defensive unit. And not only is he not surrounded with a great defensive unit now, but he's not surrounded with a great offensive unit either. I mean, he's making guys look better than they are, I believe, in my opinion. But also, they don't have a number two receiver. That's what who we, we've been we've been begging the Packers to get that. Even though I think Marquez Valdez Scantlin has been more consistent, and he has the talent and potential to be that, he's just too inconsistent. Yeah. He, he drops way too many passes. He's getting there, but he's not that yet. And Aaron Rodgers, he's had to deal with so much. He hasn't had a consistently great team. We've seen that the coaching with Mike McCarthy wasn't great. So I do think he's underappreciated because I think too much, and this goes to show with a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL, the Matthew Staffords, the Matt Ryans of the world, quarterbacks that don't win, that don't make it to the playoffs because their team stinks. They get underappreciated. And even though Aaron Rodgers has made the playoffs, the, the line for him, the ceiling for him, is Super Bowl. Every yep. year for Rodgers is Super Bowl or bust. If he doesn't win a Super Bowl, it's a bust season. And people talk about Rodgers like he hasn't won one, even though he has. Yeah, and I know that this is uh, a very, again, cliche argument and a hypothetical thing, but and I, I want to preface this by saying Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time to me. His resume is untouchable. You can't argue what he did in New England. But if you put Aaron Rodgers in New England, I think they win more than the six that they won. I think that Aaron Rodgers is, if not the most skilled quarterback of all time, at least one of the most skilled quarterbacks of all time. I think he's the most skilled out of Brady, Breeze, you know, any any of these quarterbacks that have been in the league the past couple of years. And now, you know, Mahomes has obviously given him a run for his money. But I think that Aaron Rodgers is the most skilled quarterback that I've seen in my lifetime. The I mean, throws before, he makes, his arm strength, his accuracy, the windows he throws in, his pocket presence on the move. Uh, and that's another thing he doesn't get credit for. You know, getting out of the pocket and making plays with his legs, he does that. He makes plays out of nothing. Like, he does things that I have never seen from other quarterbacks. I mean, before Patrick Mahomes, it was Aaron Rodgers. He was the guy that was the most talented quarterback that we have seen in, a, in like, ever. Yeah. Before Mahomes, it was Rodgers. Now, because Mahomes is here, we kind of, you know, give a blind eye to Rodgers and don't notice him as much. But that's the reason why he's underappreciated. And whenever the media talks about him, it's always usually negative. And I feel like he deserves better than that because not only is he a great quarterback, but he's a good person as well. And it happens a lot to guys who aren't open to the media. They just get painted as a villain because if you don't say anything at all, people most of the time assume the worst. And you mentioned a couple of cases, and I think it's become very clear Mike McCarthy was not fired because of Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. It's because he didn't adjust to the times, and that's become very clear in Dallas. And with Matt LaFleur, I think they've worked out very well. And you mentioned that I think Aaron Rodgers, I, I don't know him personally. He seems like a great guy. He seems like a great leader. And I agree. I think he's underappreciated. He's a top five quarterback of all time for me, and he's a top three quarterback in the league right now for me. So Green Bay won yesterday. I believe they're 8-3 and three now. And I think the Saints are ahead of them. They're at 
eight and two or nine and two? What would it nine and two? So who do you think is the best team in the NFC currently? I'm gonna go with the Saints. The reason that I, I give pause when I say that is because without Drew Brees, they're a different team. They're still finding their footing. Are they gonna go with Taysom Hill? Are they gonna go with Jameis Winston? There's still a lot of question marks, and they haven't really been tested since Drew Brees went down. You know, they beat the Falcons and then the bank or the Broncos yesterday, which wasn't even a football game. Respect to Kendall Hinton, but that can't be a judge at all. So they're going to get tested, and we're going to see what the Saints really are. But as of now, I would say the Saints are the best team in the NFC. I think they have the best defense in the NFC. And along with that, their offense is so high-powered that even without Drew Brees, they've looked pretty solid. Again, they have the Chiefs coming up on their schedule, the Vikings who can give them a test. Um, But the playoffs are going to be a different animal because then they also have the Eagles, the Falcons, the Panthers. So they're not going to be the most battle-tested team going into the playoffs. I like their personnel right now more than anybody else, and I think they've been more consistent than a lot of other teams in the NFC. I don't know if they would be my bet to make it out of the NFC, but I think that from what we've seen, they're my best team in the NFC. The Saints are the best team in the NFC right now. It's debatable if they're the best defense. I'm not sure about that, but I think they're the best team in the NFC. Not with Taysom Hill, because I think there's a there's a real ceiling on Taysom Hill on who he can be. And once he faces an elite defense... He's going to look really bad. Or even another high-powered offense. Like, when they face the Chiefs, I don't feel confident in Taysom Hill keeping it close with Patrick Mahomes. Even yeah. as good as the defense is. Yeah, but I don't I don't think... I think when they face a better team, Taysom Hill is not going to look how he looked against yeah. the Falcons his first game. Quan Alexander has made that defense faster. It was a good trade to make. But this isn't new with the Saints. They're usually always the best team in the, in the regular season. Uh, they have been for the last couple of years. I know they haven't finished first, but whenever we think about the best team in the NFC, people usually pick the Saints. I mean, in 2017, a lot of people thought they were the best team in the NFC. They lost to the Vikings on a Minnesota miracle. <laughs> 2018, they lost to the Rams on what Man, was an outrageous non-PI call, which created a new rule for <laughs> pass interferences to get challenged. And then last year, they lost fairly to the Vikings, Kirk Cousins beat them fair and square. I get it. But for the past couple of years, they've been the best regular season team. And I think now it's just up to them to now do it in the playoffs. They haven't been a a team to win in the playoffs. And I think Saints fans are dying for them to finally win. They're they're dying for bad luck not to strike again. Yeah. And I read, this might be incorrect, Drew Brees is looking at a week 15 timeline to return, potentially. And if that's the case, and he has two, three weeks going into the playoffs, you know, there's no excuses at this point. And Drew Brees, I love him. He's a great leader, seems like a really good guy, and he's an all-time great quarterback. There's no debate about it. But come playoff time, his numbers always seem to drop, and that's what kills them. Even though they lose games on some of the most fluke things, like the Minnesota Miracle, the Phantom Pass Interference, they shouldn't be in those situations, but that offense that looks so good all season, somehow come the playoffs, even the playing in their home dome, it, it always seems to take a hit. And this is, a, this is 
maybe one last chance because we don't know if Drew Brees is coming back after this, but this is one last chance possibly for Drew Brees to show that he's that guy in the playoffs too. I mean, I think Drew Brees hasn't been the best in the playoffs, but I do think that that's mostly because the Saints have never had a a true number two receiver. Like, it's always been Thomas. The last two years it's been Michael Thomas, and they haven't had a true number two. Now I think that they have Emmanuel Sanders. That's going to take pressure off of Michael Thomas. Jared Cook is there. So they have way more weapons to work with. Yeah, I think their problem is that what is your defense going to be? Because their defense was not that great to begin the season. Are they going to go back to that, or are they going to take it up to a new level? You know, it's always a question mark with the Saints because in the regular season, they're a great team. In the playoffs, they dip down. But I do, I, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. I don't necessarily think that they dip down too much because, I mean, in the playoffs, you're facing great teams. Yeah. So, so to kind of say, to kind of blame the Saints for being in a close game against a great team, like I don't totally agree with that, but I do understand it. I think that in the playoffs, there's a lot of close games. So, you know, it, versus the Vikings, they should have won that game. Yeah. Versus the Rams, they should have won that game. They should have they been to the Super Bowl. It should have been a Breeze versus Brady Super Bowl, if we're being honest. And yeah. it just always seems like bad luck seems to go their way. They never have the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, and I'm I'm not necessarily personally blaming Breeze for those games. I'm just saying that is the general consensus, I feel like, from conversations I've had about Drew Breeze and his playoff struggles, for lack of a better word. Another thing that's concerning about the Saints is when you look at their schedule after they started out 1-2, and two, they beat the Lions, they beat the Chargers, they beat the Panthers, the Bears, then the Buccaneers, which is a good win. But again, we've talked about how Jekyll and Hyde the Buccaneers have been. Then the decimated 49ers, the Falcons, and the Broncos. So there aren't many good teams in there. Not even great teams, good teams. So... They're, I, they're not going to be battle-tested going into the playoffs like a lot of these other teams are, and that's got to be a concern because come playoff time, there's going to be no Falcons, there's going to be no Broncos, Eagles, to well, maybe the Eagles, but you get what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. So now we talked about Breeze. We talked about Rodgers, two of the best quarterbacks. Now we're going to talk about Pick'em. Our second-to-last segment of the show NFL pick on week 13 or week 13 predictions. First game, Saints versus Falcons. I have the Saints in this one, and I think it's obvious. I just don't think the Falcons are a very good team. Yeah, I'm also going Saints. They've looked they've looked better since they fired their coach, but I don't think they can hang with the Saints at all. Next game is Jaguars versus Vikings. This, this is another easy pick. I got the Vikings in this one. Vikings. Next game, Browns versus Titans. And before I give my pick... I, the Browns are probably one of the worst eight and three teams that I can remember. I mean, the teams that they've beaten are not that good outside of the Colts. They got blown out by the Steelers and Ravens. I, I don't even I don't even have them as a top ten team, and they're eight and three. They fought for their lives last week against the Jaguars too. They're eighteenth ranked in offense, twenty first in defense. I got the Titans in this game. I think they're going to win this game. Yeah, I'm also going with the Titans. I just don't trust Baker Mayfield. The Saturdays, I, I like Baker Mayfield. I loved him coming out of college, but he's just been so inconsistent. I can't trust him, and, and I don't think that Derrick Henry is going to be stopped. So, Next game, Lions versus Bears. I got the Lions in this game. I think that after they fired Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn, 
They're going to come out with some new energy. And I think the Bears have no energy, and they're waiting for their coach, Matt Nagy, to get fired. So the Lions are going to come into this game, and they're going to handle their business. They're going to beat the Bears. I wish that I could show you my notes because I also went with the Lions. I said, just fired Matt Patricia. They're going to get a boost from that. I think that you've seen the Texans have looked really good after firing Bill O'Brien. The Falcons have looked really good. And the Bears are still dealing with the enigma, Matt Nagy. Matt Nagy, so. Next game, Bengals versus Dolphins. Joe Burrow is out for the year, so I'll probably pick. I won't pick the Bengals again this year. Yeah. I'm picking the Dolphins in this one, whether Fitzpatrick or Tua starts. It doesn't matter. I'm also going Dolphins. So next game, Washington versus the Steelers. I have the Steelers in this one pretty easily. I don't have to think too much about this. I'm going with the Steelers, but I think it'll be closer than a lot of people think. That Washington football team defense is a pretty underrated unit. So I think they'll keep it fairly close, but I think the Steelers are going to end up pulling it out. Next game, Colts versus Texans. If the Texans had Will Fuller, I might have considered them a little bit. But after losing a deep threat like that, a guy who really take he he really needs so much attention paid to him. I got the Colts. They have one of the best defenses in the league, and Texans have one of the worst defenses in the league. So the Colts can move the ball against them. Yeah, agreed for pretty much all the same reasons I'm going with the Colts. Next game, Raiders versus Jets. And it hurts me to say this. But the Jets are going to win this game. No, they're not. And the Jets are going to ruin their chances of get the, getting the number one pick because they're going to beat the Raiders. Last year, nobody picked the Jets to beat the Raiders, and the Jets blew them out. This year, the same is going to happen. The, the Raiders, once again, are going to fumble a shot at the playoffs because they crumbled down the stretch, and the Jets are going to fumble their chance to draft Trevor Lawrence. The Jets are going to win this game. There's no chance the Raiders are going to win handily. You don't you think the Raiders are going to win by a lot? Yes. Okay. Next game, Giants versus Seahawks. This might be a closer game than it seems cuz the Giants have a really good defense. But I got the Seahawks. I can't pick against the Seahawks. It's Russell Wilson versus Colt McCoy. If Daniel Jones was there, I would have given it more consideration, but I don't trust Colt McCoy at all and he can't run either, so I got the Seahawks. Yeah. And I was going to say the same thing. If Daniel Jones was healthy, I might have picked the Giants in this game because I like that Giants defensive unit. They've been playing really well. I think that Joe Judge is doing a nice job there. But without Daniel Jones going with Colt McCoy, I don't think they have any chance of going Seahawks. Next game, Rams versus Cardinals. This is going to be a tough game, probably a game that's going to decide who's first place in the NFC West. And I got the Rams. I think teams have been playing Kyler Murray better these past few weeks. After Jared Goff stinked it up against the 49ers, I don't think he does it against again against the Cardinals. I think the Rams are going to win the NFC West, and this is just another step to get there. This is the toughest game for me to pick. I left it for the last out of any of the games that I picked, and my my head is telling me to go with the Rams because that defense is so good between Aaron Donald and their corner duo that they've been the best against number one and number two wide receivers this season. I just, in my heart, it tells me to pick the Cardinals coming off a tough loss against the Patriots. I feel like they feel the the Rams nipping at their heels. Well, not tied with them now at the top of the division. I think the Cardinals know they need this one, and I think they're going to pull it out. Next game, Patriots versus Chargers. Believe it or not, I got the Chargers in this one. Like, I, I really think that they're going to beat the Patriots. 
I, people want to talk about the Patriots' defense or whatever. Their, their defense has not been the same, and they cannot move the ball. I mean, Cam Newton had 79 yards passing, I believe, against the Cardinals. I really don't think they're going to win this game. I think the Chargers are going to win. I also went Chargers. I just don't think that that Patriots offense can win in a shootout with the Chargers, and we've seen a shootout from the Chargers every week. So I think it comes down to a shootout, and Justin Herbert prevails. Eagles versus Packers. Last year, the Eagles beat the Packers because they were running the ball on them all game. But I think the Packers get the better of them this upcoming week. I have a disclaimer, though. If Jalen Hurts starts, I have the Eagles. Wow. Mm -hmm. But if Carson Wentz is starting, I got the Packers. Do you want to uh, expand on that a little bit? I just think Jalen Hurts gives them a newfound energy, and Carson Wentz... Has, along with Doug Peterson, has been the problem for the Eagles. Well, I, I said when we had that segment, I think it was a week ago, I want to see Jalen Hurts. But I, I'm going to go Packers in this one. Next game, Broncos versus Chiefs. This is an easy one. I got the Chiefs on this one. Yeah, I'm also going with the Chiefs. Cowboys versus Ravens. Another easy one. I got the Ravens in this one. I'm also going with the Ravens. I don't care how many Ravens are on the COVID list. I'm going Ravens. And the last game, Bills versus 49ers. This is a tougher game to pick, but I'm going with the Buffalo Bills. And I think they know if they win this game, they probably got that AFC East on lock. Yeah, I also think the 49ers can sneak up on teams at this point in the season just because they've dealt with so many injuries. And now they're starting to get at least semi-healthy, a little bit more healthy maybe. And they showed it against the Rams. They're no slouch of a team. Kyle Shanahan is a great coach. But with all that being said, I'm still going with the Bills. Now the last segment of the episode. It's NFL Power Rankings Week 13, our top 10 teams of Week 13. And number 10, I got the Cardinals. I mean, after losing to the Patriots, I had, to drop, I had to drop them down. Oh, oh, you were starting at 10. Yeah, the Cardinals. I was so confused. I had to drop them down after losing to the Patriots. I mean, they beat the Patriots in nearly every category and still lost. They're the 10th best team in the NFL right now. It pains me to put this team in because, like you said, I am not high on them at all. But just because of the success they had, I had to put them at 10, the Cleveland Browns. I don't think that they belong in the top 10 in the NFL. I think that there are some teams that were left out that deserve this spot more. But based on what they've shown, I I went with the Browns. The ninth best team is the Los Angeles Rams. Like I said, they lost to the 49ers, and after you lose a game like that that you're supposed to win, you got to drop down in the power rankings. The Rams got to find a way to figure out it. They got to they got to finish off the season strong, and I got them at nine. I think their offense is really holding them back right now. I went with the Seahawks at nine, and the reason I went with the Seahawks at nine is because I trust them very much to beat the Eagles tonight. If they don't, my list would be different, but I am operating under the assumption that they win tonight, and I'm putting them at nine. The eighth-ranked team to me is the Miami Dolphins. I think you got to put them ahead of the Cardinals and the Rams, especially since they beat both those teams. I think they're a step below my seventh-ranked team. The Dolphins still got a top-10 offense, I believe, in the top-10 defense. They have actually the second-best-ranked defense in terms of points allowed. So I think the Dolphins are for real, and they're a surprise team this year. I went with the Colts at number eight. It was a tough loss, but again, without DeForest Buckner, that defense is totally different. 
and especially against Derrick Henry, it, you know, you can't say how much that loss really hurt them. So I, I did not dock them as much as I normally would for that loss. I kept them at eight. My number seventh ranked team is the Seattle Seahawks. I think they're finally starting to figure out that defense. They're starting to communicate better. Jamal Adams has been criminally underrated this season. I think the Seahawks are the seventh best team in the league, and I think that's their floor. In the coming weeks, I think they're gonna boom, they're gonna move even higher. At number seven, I went with the Titans. As much as I didn't dock the Colts for that loss, I gave the Titans credit for beating a team that they should have beat. And even without DeForest Buckner, it's still a very good Colts team. There was no slouch of a game. So I give them credit for going out and getting that win. And I think that they're starting to figure things out a little bit more as of late, where they had that little lull in the middle of the season. I think they're starting to turn it up a little bit, especially Derrick Henry. And my sixth-ranked team is the Buffalo Bills. I mean, they beat the Seahawks, so I got to put them above them. I think the Buffalo Bills are a team to watch for, even though they still don't have a running game. Sometimes Devin Singletary comes in and does his thing, so does Zach Moss, but it's not consistent enough for me. That is a major hole, but their defense has been playing better. They're figuring it out. They're looking more like that Buffalo Bills defense of last year than they are at the beginning of this year. So I got them at six. Yeah, I put the I put the Bucks at six. I agonized over this because I don't think that they're the six, I don't think they're at sixth talent wise in the league. But based on what we've seen with their inconsistencies, I dock them maybe a little bit more than I would have liked to. But I have them at six, and I think that they will end up higher than that come playoff time. But for now, okay. So for my fifth ranked team, I have the Tampa Bay Bucks. You know, I think the Bucks, even though they haven't been playing well against the better teams they dominated the Packers and communication is still a major problem once they figure that out they're going to look like probably the best team in the NFL outside of the Chiefs and people just have to be patient with the Bucks. you know in the regular season they might not be outstanding but be patient they're going to show what they can do yeah at number five we had a flip-flop I went with the Bills at five I think for a lot of reasons you said Josh Allen is showing that he's pretty legit, and we doubted him to begin the season, but he has really turned it up this season. The defense has been good, and I just think all around they've looked like a really solid team top to bottom. So I went Bills at five. Okay, my fourth-ranked team is the Tennessee Titans. I think that win against the Colts was a great win. So I got them at four. Their running game is starting to look like the running game in the playoffs last year. Derrick Henry's getting back to form. Ryan Tannehill's playing amazing. Their defense is getting better. I got them at four. I went, and again, this is a team that I don't necessarily feel great about at the spot that I put them, but I worked from the bottom up, and the Packers ended up at four in my power rankings. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with Aaron Rodgers and the way that offense has looked. I still don't trust the defense necessarily, but coming off uh, you know, a couple solid weeks, I... And a good win last night, obviously. Beating up on a team they deserve to beat up on, but they look good. I put the Packers at four. My third best team is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Even though they've been dominant this season, they haven't done it against great competition. And even when they face the Ravens, they're not going to be fully there. So I got the Steelers at three. I think their offense still limits them a lot. But we'll see what happens these coming weeks. Yeah, I put the Saints at three. I think that 
like I said, they're the best team in the NFC. That defense, as much as they can be slightly inconsistent, they're a great unit. And the offense without Drew Brees is different, but they've still been okay without him for the past two weeks. Granted, not great competition. They need Drew Brees to come back if they want to be, or Jameis Winston to come in and fill the shoes of Drew Brees if they want to be the team they can be. So I have them at three. The number two ranked team is the New Orleans Saints. I think based off where they are right now, they're a step above the Steelers, especially after dominating the Bucs like that. I don't think the Steelers would have done that to the Bucs. The Saints have had some really impressive performances, so I'm going with them at two. And like that's with Taysom Hill. You know, If Taysom Hill is not there, if it's Drew Brees, I, I don't think I'd put them over the Chiefs, but they're still at two. They're, they are a lock to probably finish as the second-best team in the league. I went with, the, obviously, the Steelers at two, at 10-0. and 0. Uh, They've been deadlocked in this spot, and if it wasn't for the Chiefs, uh, spoilers, if it wasn't for the Chiefs being the greatest offense that I've probably ever seen, they would be at number one. But, you know, like you mentioned, the competition hasn't been great, and I've just been more impressed by the Chiefs than I have the Steelers, so I have them at two. Yeah. Then number one, no surprise to anybody, the Kansas City Chiefs are the best team in the NFL currently, I mean, they're great defensively, they're great offensively, and the question now is just what team can stop them. I don't think any team can stop them. It's, look, it's looking like they're going to two-peat. Yeah, it goes without saying, I also went with the Chiefs at one. I think that they are the clear, far-and-away favorites to win. And as much as I said the competition in the league has been good this year, I just think the Chiefs are so much better than anyone else, and people have called me crazy for it, but... I don't see anybody in the league that can stop that offense while also scoring on that defense. It's been pretty underrated. It's a really good unit, probably a top 10 unit in the league. So I, I don't see anybody getting through them. So this does it for our week week 13 power rankings, top 10 teams in the NFL. Tell us who your top 10 list is in the comments below. And now this does it for the end of the show. If you guys stay this long, we thank you. Like always, don't forget to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Pickaside Podcast on Twitter at Pickaside Pod. And don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I mean, we're on every podcasting platform and we're also on YouTube, our main platform. So don't forget to subscribe to us either. And I just want to thank all of you. We hit 1,000 subscribers on YouTube, on YouTube. So thank you to everybody for helping us reach that. And thank you guys for listening and see you next time.